Well, good morning. Welcome to Palm Sunday. So we'll celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Who is this King of Glory? That is what our title is. It's in Luke chapter 19, 28 through 44. If you would, stand for reading of God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. When He had said this, He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when He drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it, bring it here, and if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. And as he, as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called, called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study the, another resurrection season, the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, accepting his kingship. Lord, we do worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we thank you for this season of the year when we can remember most acutely what our God has done for us by sending his Son to die for the sins of the world. Thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, teach us the things that you want us to know. Speak to our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is the King of Glory? I think you're going to find out the King of Glory is Jesus Christ himself. Now, what is Palm Sunday? Again, Palm Sunday is the day when Jesus receives his kingship. And there's a little drawing here of a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the thing that I want you to know, Jesus came into Jerusalem, and he came down across the street from Jerusalem, down this street, which we'll see at the end, kind of towards the end. Of, I have another picture towards the end of the talk. But I wanted you to notice here that all these people are very excited about Jesus being there. Excited. They have the palm branches and that sort of thing. But I want you to notice when you get into the city of Jerusalem, it's very narrow. And so Jesus goes down to descend. He goes into the city of Jerusalem, and he receives his kingship. And this is an absolute key moment in the ministry of Jesus. It was a dramatic day. Uh, it was the last part, last week of his life when this, when this transpires. And he's unquestionably claiming to be a king. But he's claiming to be a different type of king, a servant king, not a conquering king. And we realize that by the way he comes into Jerusalem on the colt. Recall Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 20, verse 27 through 28. He says these things, and this echoes, Jesus came this way, and I think that this speaks to us today how we should live out our lives. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That's why that Jesus came, to serve. That's why we are here to have life and breath and all things, to serve our God with passion. Jesus was demonstrating to his disciples and to us today the importance of being a, a servant. Look, most humans want to be the top dog. Most humans want to have all the attention. Most humans want to be served and not to serve. And Jesus came and changed that whole paradigm. Jesus came as a servant king, but I'll tell you, he will come again, and he will come again soon as king of kings and lord of lords. You can bet your life on it. And we believe that it's right on the, right on the corner, right on the precipice of coming. But remember, we don't know the time when Jesus will come, but he did give us the epoch of time and the things to look for, and those things are happening right now, right before our eyes. And I'm amazed we're still here. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, folks. But remember this, God raises up kings and God deposes kings. But there will be a kingdom that comes and it will be an eternal kingdom. There will be seven major kingdoms, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and we're still living in that right and left leg of the Roman Empire. There's this tension between the east and the west. We're still living in that today. And then there's going to be a ten-nation confederation that will be raised up at the very end. These are the main kingdoms that have ruled throughout the history of the world. But there is a king who's coming that no one will replace. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords, and he will reign. There's a Christmas verse that reminds us of this. It is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And you are familiar with this, but at a different time of the year. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. God gave his only begotten son. And what? The government will be upon his shoulder, rulership. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Thank you, Lord. He will order and establish it with judgment and justice for that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The earth will have its final king, and it will be the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will reign forever. On Palm Sunday, the King of Glory, Jesus Christ himself, enters Jerusalem to accept his kingship. But he enters a city in turmoil. He enters a, t a city that is, is in an upheaval. But he would not shun what lied ahead for him. He had a purpose. He had a destiny. Even though he knew the fickleness of humanity, that this day they would be crowning him as king, in a few more days they'll be crying, crucify him. That's how we are as humans, so fickle. His courage is amazing. He was hated by the Jewish leaders. He was despised by the Jewish leaders. There was vehement disdain for him. They even plotted killing him and, and actually are succeeding, will succeed in killing him in just a few days from this time. The Romans are indifferent to Jesus. They could care less about him. They just don't want him to cause any trouble in the city, don't have any uprising. But Jesus, in, in the past, when he came to Jerusalem on feast days, he came covertly because he didn't want the Jews to take him. But this time he comes openly and he's mobbed by the people. He's very popular. And remember, we said this last week, Jerusalem is packed. One and a half to two million people are some of the estimates during this Passover season. Jesus rides into town on a colt. He's surrounded by his disciples and they lay palm branches before him. They lay him on the colt. They put their, their robes on the colt, symbolic of a king. Jesus will not stop. His mission is de is, has been determined by Father, 
and he will come and he will accomplish his mission. Nothing will stop him. His saddest hour is just ahead, the cross. His, that would, for him, he would, he would experience rejection, humiliation, torture, death. But this would also be his finest hour because he would absolutely, finally, with finality, deal with Satan and Satan's kingdom. Satan's reign will be broken. And all mankind will be made savable. We do not believe in universalism where everybody is saved. You have to believe that Jesus died for your sins. Receive him into your heart. Receive him as your Savior to be saved. But he made all humanity savable. Jesus would come. He would suffer. He would die. And he would carry out the Father's will. And nothing would stop him. John 6.38 says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Folks, this is a message for us. We are here for a purpose, to do the will of Father, to believe in his Son, number one, and that whoever believes in him will be saved and not experience the wrath of God. In verses 28 through 36, we see this. The king of glory needs a cult, as if God needed anything. Jesus Christ, needed, he needs a cult, a servant's animal. Let's pick up our narrative in verse 28. Now he had said this. He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Remember, you always ascend to Jerusalem. Make Aliyah to Jerusalem. It's where the city of God is. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, just a few miles from Jerusalem at the Mount of called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village opposite you, where you are to enter, and you will find a colt tied, and on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing the colt? I mean, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He's omnipotent. Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. Oh, just, just, just as it was. But as they were loosening the colt, the owners of the colt said, why are you loosing the colt? Just like Jesus said. And he said to them, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, threw their own clothes on the colt, as you would for a king, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road, and this is our Palm Sunday entrance into Jerusalem. Now the question here is, for everyone, why a colt? Why is he coming into Jerusalem on a colt? Well, he's going to fulfill a 500-year-old prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 9. In Zechariah says these words, and he's, he's very specific. He tells us to be ready for this one that's going to be coming on a colt, a foal. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of, Jer of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. He's, this, is, this is code for Israel, be ready. Israel, be ready. Israel, be ready. He is just in having salvation. Who is this one that has salvation? Jesus Christ lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. That is his first coming. He's coming as a servant king. The Jewish people, the Jewish leadership, messed this up thinking he should be coming as the conquering king. They didn't want to see a servant king. And that, thus, he ended up dying because he, they, they missed the two comings. A colt in ancient days was a noble animal. It was a beast of service. It would carry a burden. And Jesus rides in on that. It was also used by kings and their emissaries when they entered a city in peace. And that is how Jesus was coming, the Prince of Peace. 
to give peace to anyone who will receive him as their Savior. He entered the city not as a conqueror, not on the stallion. That's in Revelation 19. That's right around the corner. But he entered it on a cult that we can have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. What was Jesus depicting? Well, he's claiming to be Israel's king, a servant king. He would not come as the conquering king at this time, but oh, he will. He'll be the conquering king. And again, the cult symbolized service. It, 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 it was to carry their burdens. Jesus came to serve men to bear their burdens. And I don't know if you remember this verse in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, come on to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus is our burden bearer. Tune into him. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 5, 7. He tells us about how Jesus carries our burdens. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Look, we don't have to go through this world all weighted down, Deep, dark depression, that is not to be our posture in this world. He is our burden bearer, and we need to take hold of him and help. He, carry, help, he helps us carry our burdens. This colt had never been ridden in verse 30, and this, it, these animals that had never been ridden, never been used for their actual purpose, were used for sacred purposes. We see that in Deuteronomy 21.3 and 1 Samuel 6.7. And then in verse 31, the Lord has need of it. And it's amazing that Jesus Christ has need of anything. But the Lord is giving the owner of the colt an opportunity. Look it. God gives us opportunities to join him in ministry. And I'll tell you, what an honor to be needed and used by the king of glory to accomplish his will. He partners with us. Then they set Jesus on the colt that had never been ridden. And interestingly enough, if you sit on a colt that never, was never ridden, what would happen to you? You're going to be flying off someplace. But no, this, this colt knew the creator. This colt knew that, that whoever's sitting on him is somebody different. The colt was submitted to his master, folks. That's a lesson for us. Now, why palm branches and clothes are spread on the road? and They're spread for royalty. They're spread by the servants in subjection to their king. At this moment, all these people are submitting to the Lord Jesus, this throng of people putting the palm trees down, putting their robes down, an entrance for the king, a celebration. The king is coming. The king is coming. But, oh, they wanted a specific type of king. So you're going to submit. They'll submit as long as they think they're going to have their way. Remember, subjection would be short-lived. As long as the people got what they wanted, oh, I'll submit to you, Jesus. If you do exactly what I say, Jesus, oh, I'll submit to you. When the moment they didn't see him conquering Rome, freeing them from the tax system, freeing them from the oppression of Rome, oh, it all changed from submission to rebellion. And how short-sighted we are as humans. How self-absorbed. How so human. We so quickly change. There's a lesson here for us, folks. The lesson is this. Jesus came to do the Father's will through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way it can be done, through the Spirit's power. We are here to do the Father's will. Make no mistake, you were created for a purpose. Find your purpose. Find your purpose. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the only way it can be done. And Jesus fulfilled his purpose against enormous obstacles. Enormous obstacles. We succeed the same way through the power of the Holy Spirit. When life gets hard, and it gets hard for everybody, 
Everybody just doesn't have a cupcake life. Everybody just doesn't live on the high plain. Sometimes it's great, and sometimes we're in the valley. We know that just by living life. It's a reality. When things get difficult, when discouragement sets in, when you feel, I can't take another step, I can't take another the obstacle is too great, recall the words of Zechariah to Zerubbabel. You know what he says in Zechariah 4.6? He says this, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel had a huge responsibility. He was going to rebuild the temple. And when he rebuilt it, it was so pitiful compared to Solomon's temple. But God says, do not despise the days of small things. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The king of glory is with you through it all. Remember that. He will complete in you what seems impossible. We have a job to do, and our job is to trust him. Let me say it again. Our job is to trust him. We're all going to be in that valley. We're all going to face the obstacles. We're all going to face the what in the world is going on now. You have been there, and you know this is to be truth. Our job is to hang in, to press on. Remember, the obstacles are legendary. You can list your own. I just listed a few categories here. Financial obstacles, physical obstacles. Look, you live long enough, you're going to have physical obstacles, relational obstacles, emotional obstacles. Jesus' promise is this, I will be with you always. He is our burden bearer. Listen to some of these verses. When you think about God is with us, you are never alone. Wherever you go, you are never alone. Joshua 1.9, do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God goes with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 31.6, do not fear. It is God who goes with you. And then what did Jesus say in the Great Commission? Lo, I am with you always. Our God is with us. Wherever we go, remember that when you're in, in the valley, when the obstacle is too big, when you can't take another step. God is with you in this mess. He is with you. He will never, what is it saying? Hebrews 13, 5, I will never, 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 five times, leave you nor forsake you. He is with us right to the end of this thing. In verse 37 and 38, the king of glory receives his kingship. This is a seminal moment in, in in the ministry of Jesus. Pick it up in verse 37. Then as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, For the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. See, Jesus demonstrated to the people, and they knew he was the Messiah by the things that he accomplished. And what are they saying? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The king is coming. The king of glory is coming. In Matthew, Mark, and John, we see Hosanna. Hosanna, save now Jesus. Hosanna. What is this crowd expecting their king to do? To conquer Rome. Their exuberance is palpable. As long as they think that Jesus is going to conquer Rome, they are all in. They are all in. Now, what happens when Jesus did not meet their expectations? You know what happened. 
the same crowd that was crying, blessed is he, Hosanna, Hosanna, cry out, crucify him, crucify him. He didn't do exactly what I wanted him to do. Look at Jesus is God. He does what he thinks is right. He knows what is right. We oftentimes make judgments on him based upon very limited knowledge. Jesus, why did you allow that to happen? I can't believe you allowed that to happen. Look at he he knows exactly what's going on. Oh, how quickly people can turn away, blinded by our own selfishness. When Jesus does not fit the model that people expect, something other than what they expect will not suffice. And what they do with Jesus is said, be away from me, Jesus. I really need another Jesus. What do people want? A fantasy Jesus. Don't they? They want a fantasy Jesus. Some, a Jesus they make a, a genie Jesus. I've often said the little Jesus you can pull out of your pocket and throw down and do whatever I want you to do, Jesus. Well, that is not Jesus. Jesus is God. He is in charge. We are the servants. He is the one that is to be served. He is in charge, not us. And I will just submit this to you. Aren't you really at the base of your life just thrilled that he is in charge? Because there's hope. I mean, if I was in charge, what a mess. What a mess. Most people in this world live and die totally oblivious to the real Jesus. How tragic. We have a message of hope about the real Jesus to a dying world. And there's a tremendous surprise in this verse when he receives his kingship. And it is found in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. So if you would turn to Daniel chapter 9, this would be worth your journey. The setting is Daniel is under the ruler of Cyrus, the king. And he is praying for his people. And he's asking God to, to forgive the nation for what they have done. Rejecting God over and over and over. And they're coming out of captivity. And the angel interrupts Daniel's prayer. Right in the middle of stunningly, Gabriel steps in in verse 21. And he says this in verse 23. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, Daniel, for you are greatly beloved. You know that Daniel was beloved? You know that John the Apostle was beloved? But you know who else is beloved? The church is beloved. You are beloved. And he gives this prophecy. Consider the matter and understand the vision, Daniel. Seventy weeks are deep. This is, this is quite possibly the most important prophecy in Scripture. The most important prophecy in Scripture. And I want you to notice them. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. This is 77s, 490 years that God has said, okay, that's how, how long Israel's going to exist as long as they receive their Messiah. As long as you have 490 years left, you're coming out of captivity. There's going to be 490 years left. Messiah is going to, going to come and reign. And if you receive him, the whole thing is done. You go into the kingdom. He doesn't tell them that, but this is actually what happens. For your people, and what they are supposed to do in this 490-year time frame is to finish the transgression. These are the sins of Israel. To make an end of sins, to turn to God, to make reconciliation for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness. That means receive Jesus as their Savior to seal up, seal up vision, prophecy, and anoint the most holy, the most holy place. And then he gives a specific time for this. He's, this is very specific. This is an incredible thing that happens here. Know, therefore, and understand. Now, notice this. 
We are responsible to know. We are responsible to know the signs of the time. God holds his people responsible. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command, what command? To restore and rebuild Jerusalem. It's 445 B.C., Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18. That started it. That started the whole thing. Until Messiah the prince, that's Messiah Nagid, and Saul was a Nagid, so it could be a king, comes into Jerusalem. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's, that's 69 week years. Now, let's go through this. We believe Cyrus, Artaxerxes, gave the command. It's written in Nehemiah. We have the 69 weeks here. Now, the Jewish people had a chance to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They rejected him. There's a pause here. A pause here. It's called the church age, 2,000 plus years. The church age is rapidly winding down. When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, when the last Gentile is saved, we're out of here. Why did we have to get out of here? Because God reestablishes his relationship with his people. It will take the seven-year tribulation for them to finally realize that Jesus was and is the Messiah of Israel. We go up to meet Jesus, and we come back with him, and he establishes his millennial reign. The Antichrist is reigning through this period of time. At the middle of the tribulation, the abomination of desolation is set up where the Antichrist demands to be worshipped as God. This is what is happening. Sir Robert Anderson, this prophecy, he made calculations, 173,880 days were, was the time frame from rebuilding the wall until Jesus Messiah enters into Jerusalem and takes on his kingship. On the exact day that was prophesied, Jesus entered Jerusalem on the 173,880th day. Impossible. Impossible, the skeptics would say. No one can do that. You're right. No human can do that. We call this a miracle. We call this God's intervention. Nothing is impossible with our omnipotent God. And I want to give you something. This gives tremendous, tremendous validity to the, to the Bible being true. No other holy book in the world has one fulfilled prophecy, not one. The Bible has literally hundreds and hundreds of fulfilled prophecies. This is just one that's dramatic. Folks, it's all true. What you are reading in this book is true. You can bet your life on it, and actually many, many, many have bet their life on it. And I would suggest to you that today there are more martyrs in the world for Christ than at any other time in history, so it's still going on today. They believe this word, and they believe whom this word is being spoken about. They believe the Lord Jesus Christ is true and real. Jesus did indeed receive his kingship. He did receive it. 39 through 40, the king of glory is resisted. Now remember, anytime there's a movement in the spirit realm towards something good, there's always going to be resistance. Whenever you make a move in the spirit realm, you make a change in your life, expect resistance. Expect resistance. It's something that's going to happen. Verse 39 through 40 says this, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd. Now, you think they were just being gentle? Jesus, oh, Jesus, Jesus, can you? No, they were screaming at him. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, 
the stones would immediately cry out. Folks, this is a, this, the whole creation in Romans 8 groans for its redemption. The whole thing has been tainted by sin. And Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. I am going to make this thing right. The whole creation groans to be rescued. Not just us, the whole thing has been tainted. There's always resistance to a move of God. It's not uncommon then and it's not uncommon now. The majority, the majority resist him. And you know what? Many of them call him a liar. This is so insulting. Many of them call him a lunatic. Many of them call him just another man. Oh no, he is God incarnate. He is the God man. Certainly he can't be God. Well, the Pharisees resisted him to the end. They did not recognize Jesus as their Messiah. See, they wanted the lamb who lies down with the wolf. People resist him. The Pharisees missed the first coming of the servant king. They wanted the lion with the lamb. They missed the Messiah who would come first. But the king of kings will come soon to establish his kingdom. One who would suffer and die for the sins of the world. Now, why? Ask yourself this question. Jesus has proved himself to the Jewish leadership. He's proved himself to the Jewish people. He's proved himself to the people of the world that he is indeed the Son of God, God incarnate. He did it by signs and wonders and miracles. And guess what? A changed lives. And I think one of the greatest miracles of all is the existence of the nation of Israel after 2,000, it's actually 2,700 years of dispersion being in their own land. More on that in just a second. Why do people resist Jesus today? Why do they resist Jesus today? They do not want him to rule over them. As long as I'm in charge, Jesus, I'll take you. As long as I can kind of order you around, Jesus, I'll take you. Oh, no. Most people think they can do a better job with their lives than Jesus, and I'll tell you, that's sad. Remember the words of Josh McDowell. Either Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And he is the Lord Jesus Christ. We should address him as his real title deserves, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is who he is. The question is this, who is he to you? Who is he to you? How you answer this simple question will determine where you will spend eternity. You see, we're all eternal beings. We will all die one day, and we will all spend our eternity in one place or another. We can spend it with God if we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, or we will spend it separated from God in torment in a place called hell or the lake of fire, if you want to get real technical, separated from God forever. God will not force anyone to be with him. But he encourages, he's drawing. He says, come, come, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. You must decide who Jesus is to you. Will you believe in him or not? It's really that simple. Remember Jim Elliott? He was a missionary to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. And he gave his life. They shot him and his buddies. And he wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, our lives. None of us are, can keep our lives here. We're all growing old. We're all passing at some point. Some pass very early. Some pass in the middle. Some pass at the end. But guess what? It's 100%. It's 100%. Everybody gets a high A on dying because you will die unless you're the generation that gets raptured. That's what I'm raising my hand for, okay? 
He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Eternal life with God. God's cry to you today is do not, do not, do not resist the King of glory. Do not resist him. God loves you. He gave his best for you, his only begotten son. Do not resist him. Embrace him. Believe in him. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins. Receive him as your Savior, and you will live with him forever. In verse 41 through 44, the king of glory is rejected. How sad. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, oh, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let that resonate within you. They did not know the time when Messiah came. They missed Messiah. And he holds them responsible. Two times in Scripture we see that Jesus weeps. One is at the death of Lazarus. One is at the death of Lazarus. And one is over Jerusalem. Now why is this? Why does he only weep at these two? There's plenty of sad stuff that goes on. Because both of these are the consequence of sin. Death and destruction are the consequence of sin. Jesus weeps over his rejection. He knows what lies ahead. He knows his destiny. He knows that the people will reject him. And this weeping is this. This isn't the little tear that goes down the cheek that you see from... This is a wailing. This is a loud wail. This is extreme grief. Why? Because they miss the Prince of Peace. They miss the Prince of Peace. The only one who could bring them peace with God and peace on earth and peace with their life. Shalom is the Hebrew word. Shalom is the Hebrew word. It means this. To be safe in mind, have a stable mind. In body, or in a state, in the way that I'm existing in my life. It speaks of completeness, fullness, wholeness. All is well, no matter what. All is well. When you're thinking about, when you're thinking about peace, people have different views of what peace is. If you're, from the, if you're from the East, and you're a Hindu or something like that, you're looking to be part of the universe. Become with one with the universe. No awareness of yourself. Peace might mean serenity to you. Peace for some elderly person with some kid beating drums across the street. Peace to you would be that kid stops beating on that drum. You want a little quiet. How about when the shopkeeper is worried about making their bills? You're worried about making your bills. You know what peace is for you? Your ability to pay. Prosperity. And how about the peace that when you go to the doctor's office with your lump? your bump, your blood test that was off, and you're all concerned and you're all worried like we do as humans. This is a natural thing to do. What is peace to us then? A good report, a good health. When we don't have what we think what we should have, we say we need peace. Real peace, real shalom, comes when a person makes peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ is saved. Only then can you experience the miraculous shalom, peace of God that passes all understanding. 
in the most severe of circumstances. Hear what Jesus says. This is a very familiar verse because it's one that I really like. John 16, 33. It says, These things I have spoken to you. In me you will have peace. In me you will have peace. It's a guarantee if you take it. In me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Remember Thalispus, crushing, grievousness, weightiness. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Because he has overcome the world, we, by extension, can overcome what comes at us through his power. Folks, we want to live in his peace. We want to live in his presence. In verse 43 through 44, the nation's consequence of rejecting Jesus, Jerusalem and the temple will be totally destroyed. Think about this. Jesus says not one stone will be laid upon another. We have one source in history that tells us what actually happened. A first-hand account, and that was from Joseph Flavius, Josephus Flavius. And he was a former Jewish leader in the revolt. But he was captured. He actually was, he had surrendered to the Romans. He got favor with Vespasian, the emperor, and he actually took on the name Flavius from Vespasian Flavius. And in gratitude, you see, he gets the name. And he writes this in his book, Josephus. Quote, in the year 66 A.D., the Jews of Judea rebelled against the Roman masters. In response, the emperor Nero dispatched an army under the generalship of Vespasian to restore order. By the year 68, that's just two years of battle, resistance in the northern part of the province had been eradicated, and the Romans turned their full attention to the subjugation of Jerusalem. Now, there's a lot of Romans that died in that battle, and their anger is percolated. The same year, Emperor Nero died by his own hand, creating a power vacuum in Rome. In the result, in the chaos, Vespasian was declared emperor and returned to the imperial city. It fell on his son Titus to lead the remaining army in the assault on Jerusalem. Now, there's an interesting thing here. That Nero dies, Vespasian goes back, and Jerusalem now has a period where people can escape the carnage. And some people like Arnold Fruchtenbaum state that no believing Jew died in Jerusalem during this time. They believed Jesus' prophecy, and they left. That was the remnant. That was the minority that were tuned in to Jesus. They were saved. The majority, over one million Jews, died when Titus reasserted himself. And Jerusalem. By the year 70 AD, the attackers had breached the Jerusalem outer walls and began a, system, began a systematic ransacking of the city. The assault culminated in the burning and destruction of the temple that served at the, as a center of Judaism. Now, the question must be asked why did this immense destruction occur? And in verse 44, it says this because you did not know the time of your visitation. You rejected Jesus during this three-year ministry. They wanted what they perceived as their Messiah. They didn't want Jesus the way he came. God's expectation for his people today is the same. He has given us his word. This word, has, which has been actually taken out of most churches, this is what he's given us. He's given us this to build our lives on, to know the truth. 
And so many people are going to be deceived. He's given us his word. It's the same expectation today. We are expected to know and be prepared for what's coming. Do not be caught off guard. We must know. We must know. We must study. Know the signs of the times and know when his return is. Hear this. We must be able to identify and hear the footsteps of Messiah. See, he's getting closer. There's birth pangs in Matthew 24 that we went through last week. And you can almost hear his footsteps coming. He's coming closer, and he's coming closer, and he's coming closer. And his people know. His people know. The rest of the world doesn't. And I would say a vast majority of the church doesn't, because the vast majority of the church doesn't want anything to do with Bible prophecy. We are to know the signs of the time. Study and know, folks. Study and know. So, do not reject the King of glory. His return is on the horizon. It's very close. Let me close with this. Who is this King of glory? Well, who do you think he is? He is Jesus Messiah. That's who he is. Do not be lulled into complacency by what we hear in the world around us because we are being lied to 24-7. You are not receiving real news, real truth. You might get glimmers of it, glints of it, but you are not getting the truth. The birth pangs, as described in Matthew, are coming at rocket speed. Like frogs in the water, people are in the church. When it gets healed up and boiled, are lying docile not aware of the king coming. Now remember, deception abounds. Jesus in Matthew 24, do not be deceived, do not be deceived, do not be deceived, do not be deceived. God holds us responsible for knowing. Study and know. Study and know. Two signs, two seminal signs that God has given us in our lifetime. Our lifetime. It can only count in our lifetime. Number one, the Jews are in their land. May 14, 1948, an amazing miracle happened. And the second thing is this, is that mankind now, with the development of nuclear weapons pointed all over the place, have the ability to totally destroy themselves. More on that in just a second. The prophetic clock leapt, leaped forward on May 14, 1948, when against all odds, the Jewish people became a nation. I want, to suggest, I want to tell you something a little bit about history. Truman was president at that time. Now, Truman was taken to Sunday school by his mother. And when the Jews declared themselves to be a nation, he remembered what, what the Sunday school teachers taught about the nation of Israel. His advisors advised him not to get involved in that mess over there in the Middle East. But Truman said, no, there's something different about these people. And in 11 minutes after they declared their status as a nation, he sanctioned it. Roosevelt, who was the great hero of World War II and coming out of the Depression, was abjectly against it. And he would have refused to engage that. Roosevelt dies, Truman takes over, and he gives, gives credence to the nation being established. And the other thing is, you want to realize that this is the only people group in the world that has been dispersed for 2,700 years, not to just one nation, not just taken to Babylon, or not just taken to Persia, or not just taken to Greece, but this nation has been distributed through 130 nations. They've maintained their identity as being Jews. 
and they've maintained their belief in Jehovah, at least to some extent. And they're the only nation that has ever been dispersed, regain their land, and regain their language, and regain their culture. This is a miracle of God. When you tell this to an atheist, they have no answer to the Jewish question of how this happened. Because it's never happened in the history of the world. It only happened because of our God. The nation of Israel was born. Jesus said regarding the times that were coming upon the nation of Israel, speaking of the tribulation in Matthew 24, 21, for there will be great tribulation such as not since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, the Jewish sake, for the Jewish people, those days will be shortened. Who is this king of glory? Who is this one that orchestrates all of this stuff behind the scenes that we are just mesmerized by? Well, if you turn to Psalm 24, 7 through 10, you're going to see who he is very specifically. Psalm 24. Who is this king of glory? I love this. Lift up your heads, O you gates. This is worship. This is worship language. And be lifted up, you everlasting doors. Worship him, and the king of glory shall come in. They come into your life if you worship him. He inhabits the praises of his people. Who is this king of glory? That is the question for all of humanity. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Will you know him in Revelation 19 when he comes back on the white horse? And he rules and he sets up his messianic kingdom. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Worship him. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and this king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, the king of armies. He is the king of glory. America, wake up. Church, wake up. Who is the king of glory? He is on the precipice. Can you hear the footsteps of Messiah? Does it make any sense to go your own way? Live your own life and say, I did it my way. No, it does not. We are servants of the Most High God. He is our King. Who is this King of glory? He is the one who rode into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and accepted his kingship. As Daniel predicted, he's coming again. Who is this King of glory? He is the one who will return and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. He came to Jerusalem on a colt, a servant's animal, a peaceful entrance. That's how he came the first time. He will come not with a peaceful entrance the second time, but a violent entrance. Because he will put down all those who have resisted him, said, we don't want you, God. Shook their fist at him. Hopefully you know him as the king of glory, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's good to know that our all-powerful potentate our sovereign ruler, our King Jesus, it's good to know that he calls us his bride, that we have a relationship with him like no one else does. And he also, in John 15, 15, says, you are my friends. If you do whatever I've commanded you, you are my friends. During this resurrection season, may we direct all of our attention on the reason Jesus came in the world. He came to die. And he came to die very specifically that we might live that we might live with him forever. Folks, Easter eggs, Easter bunnies, egg hunts that you see all around the place, Easter baskets, candy, clothes, all that stuff. Folks, that should not be the Christian focus. That should not be the Christian focus. 
The world has long forgotten the real Jesus. It's time we remember who he really is. He's the king of glory. He is strong and mighty. He is worthy of all of our praise. He is worthy of all of our praise. This resurrection season, may all of our focus be on Jesus Christ, the King of glory, the real reason that he came. Next week is Resurrection Sunday, the greatest day in history. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, you do a work in each one of our hearts. You, everyone hears something different. They hear exactly what you want them to hear. We just don't hear for the sake of hearing, but we, for, we hear for the sake of changing. You change us, Lord. Help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. Oh, Father, we ask that the Spirit of God does his work in each one of our hearts today. And may we direct all of our focus on Jesus Christ, the King of glory. Thank you for this time to study your word, the true word of God. In Jesus' name, amen.